0: Welcome to our Exchanges at Goldman Sachs Markets Update for Friday, December 11th. Each week, we check in with a leader across the firm to get a quick take on what they're watching in markets. Today, we're going to take a look back at the roller coaster ride of 2020 and some of the key investing themes that came out of it. I'm Jake Seward, Global Head of Corporate Communications here at the firm, and I'm joined by Drew Pavlovich of the Markets Coverage Group in our Consumer and Wealth Division. Drew, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here.
0: So let's talk a little bit about 2020 in terms of investors' emotions and expectations. If you can just take us back to January straight through to December, give us a quick rundown on different stages of sentiment that we've seen this year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So as you alluded to, which I think is very appropriately put, 2020 was at the very least a roller coaster. And it was one that saw you know multiple ups and downs for a variety of different reasons. And one that I think any of us that are market participants will say is one that we will never truly forget. So the year really, interestingly enough, started off with a tone of really cautious optimism, almost a sort of complacency as it relates to client sentiment you had, what most viewed as stable to strong corporate earnings, the US and world on really steady kind of single digit growth trajectory from GDP standpoint. And the only real foreseeable kind of market destabilizing event was really the U.S. election here in in November, potentially destabilizing event, I should say. And then kind of fast forward toward the end of January, beginning of February, with reports of the coronavirus starting to become more of a reality for our investor base and a more frequent topic of conversation. You had a few cases here in the United States that had been reported by the end of Jan that sort of accelerates into February. And by March, you truly started to see and sense concern about what might actually become a full-blown global pandemic. Now, as it kind of relates to client portfolios, I think one of the key realization events, for lack of a better term, was when Apple came out and formally announced it would no longer be able to meet its revenue guidance for that upcoming March quarter due to the impact of COVID-19 that combined with kind of additionally swift and emergent rate cuts from the fed sent a signal that really kind of further triggered client reactions and kind of started to set in what we would identify as a little bit of a sense of panic from there we started to kind of see increased concern permeate through client sentiment with a variety of interactions some clients kind of sitting on their hands paralyzed with uncertainty some taking the opportunity to increase risk amid what they viewed as kind of more attractive valuations across asset classes. And then, as I alluded to, some genuine panic among some of the private client base here. From late March through the early summer, despite things dramatically deteriorating on the public health side, you saw kind of one of the upswoops in this roller coaster. You started to see renewed optimism in financial markets, And in our opinion, that was clearly due to the unprecedented fiscal and monetary stimulus that you really saw from global central banks across the globe and central banks and governments. And what that really did is that renewed confidence in global financial markets from both a price and liquidity standpoint, but then it also kind of renewed confidence in individual consumer balance sheets, just given some of the stimulus programs that were put in place. So then from mid to late summer and further into early Q3, that was really highlighted by renewed optimism from an economic standpoint as lockdowns were lifted and global and local economies were able to marginally reopen. So you kind of saw this restart the economy trend in not only equity markets, but also fixed income markets and people start to take some risk in some of the areas of the economy that had been in complete lockdown for the previous, call it, six months. You know, that optimism, I would say, then saw somewhat of a slight blip as clients started to focus on the impending election here in the U.S., where the possibility of a blue wave kind of gave concern as to the impact of what that might have on financial markets. And then kind of coming up on current times following the election and what we would say hope is political certainty. Despite some of the impending Senate runoff in Georgia, we've seen a renewed interest in risk assets. And that has really only been further fueled by a lot of the positive vaccine news around the world and further stimulus measures that seem to be closer
0: on the horizon. So obviously, a lot of swift shifts in sentiment, big sell-offs, big rallies. A lot of what characterizes here, though, was speed. Talk a little bit about right. the volatility and sort of the whiplash between these really dramatic bull and bear markets that we saw this year.
1: No, absolutely. So, you know, I think you probably start that volatility and whiplash conversation with the initial sell-off in what I would call mid to late February to mid-March, where you saw the VIX go from low teens to the low 80s level. And the S&P essentially selling off, call it 33 to 34% from that mid-Feb to the lows in March. And as you can imagine, that, that's quite frightening to clients. Now, within our client base, I would say as that volatility settled into what I would call more of a normalized, elevated volatility level as opposed to pure panic, you really saw kind of a large portion of our clients look to monetize that and take advantage of that via a variety of different trades and instruments you know, the most vanilla, of which is probably selling puts to monetize that vault and or putting on short dated risk reversals. Further to the volatility and the quick sell-offs, I would say that each subsequent sell-off post the initial Fed to March, puke for lack of a better term, each one has been quicker, less violent, and more shallow, which I think is largely attributable to the easy financial conditions that were put in place by global central banks. And you know, ultimately, I think that's kind of a different way of saying that you've had to be very quick, you've had to be nimble, but it has paid to buy the dips in equity markets here in the year 2020.
0: So yeah, you talked about the unprecedented monetary and fiscal stimulus this year. How did that help clients get comfortable with risk again? Were they just hearkening back to 09, or what is it that made them feel like that, that helped call the bottom?
1: No, absolutely. The amount of parallels drawn between people that were around in 09 and currently in 2020 was dramatic. You had people that had seen the actions the Fed took in 2009. You saw similar programs put in place in 2020, but kind of at a high level, this monetary and fiscal action taken was different in the sense that it was extreme. It was for the most part unnegotiated from a congressional, at least in the first bout from a congressional and from a regulatory standpoint, just given the unprecedented nature of this global pandemic, but it was very much a positive signaling mechanism to the financial markets in general. So the Fed came in and basically said that they were willing to backstop any and all credit markets. And I think that really gave people a lot of comfort and a lot of confidence that the Fed was willing to do whatever it takes in order to help both the consumer and financial markets stay open. I think the other aspect of this was you saw true global coordination across global central banks and global governments. Because if you recall, we were all in this together. There wasn't one country that necessarily was in a worse place or was seen as the cause for this virus. So you really saw a global coordination that I think gave people comfort as well. And as I alluded to, if I kind of bring this back to our client base, I think the area of the markets where our clients were initially the most aggressive as it relates to trying to put on risk was really in the credit markets. And that was because of the signaling effect that I mentioned earlier, where the Fed said, we not only are willing to backstop, you know, whether it's asset-backed markets, corporate markets, or municipal credit markets, but we're also going to take extremes as far as buying exchange-traded funds that have those assets as their underlying assets.
0: So obviously with big, big, big cuts at central banks around the world, a little hard to find yield if you're a client. Yeah. So how's the client base been positioning themselves to get some yield in this environment?
1: So the search for yield conversation is one that is extremely challenging and extremely frequent within our client base and continues to be a frustrating exercise. And I think will continue to be a frustrating exercise into 2021. 20 but with cash yielding essentially zero, there being somewhere in the ballpark of $18 trillion of negative yielding debt globally, credit spreads near all-time tights. We've had to see clients really allocate their cash or bonds to riskier assets and go further out the risk curve to find that yield. And I think probably the most prevalent way, the most dramatic shift that we've seen is, is clients taking that cash we're taking those bond allocations and really looking at things like high dividend paying stocks here in the United States, which can be seen as kind of a more stable defensive equity allocation and really pick up yield that might be more attractive. The other aspect is just seeing clients, as I alluded to, going further out or extending durations, I should say, in their fixed income portfolios, which has given some people pause, especially just given where the potential inflation market might be headed. Given you haven't really seen that materialize here in the United States, I think inflation has really become a large concern of a lot of our clients, just given, as we alluded to, that unprecedented fiscal and monetary stimulus that you've seen. So with any sort of economic stabilization that gives people consternation that in the next two, three, four or five years, you could see a, a pretty dramatic uptick
0: in inflation. So one of the things that I think puzzles people who aren't in the financial markets is just the amount of optimism at this time. Yeah. There's a pandemic still raging, people are still getting sick, people are still dying. But the sentiment has gotten much more optimistic, particularly with clarity around the US election and now the vaccine coming closer and closer. Help us quantify, put some numbers on the optimism in terms of what you've seen in the markets just in the last couple of months since the election. Oh,
1: absolutely. And I think you've got a lot of people kind of scratching their heads around how aggressive people have been post the election in allocating to risk assets and kind of just putting actual numbers on it, looking at kind of the, let's call it the November to current timeframe. You saw, for instance, the S&P trade up just north of 12%. It saw it's best one month performance since 1987 in November. And that was also the best November in history for the S&P 500. And then kind of further to, My previous points about the reopening of the economy and people looking at kind of laggards in the market, more of the value spaces in the market, the Russell 2000 was up almost 24% from that November to December period. You saw tech in the form of the NASDAQ, which had had arguably one of its best six-month stretches in recent history, up an additional 12% from November to December. Looking on a more global basis, emerging markets up about 13% in that November to December period. And then an even broader kind of global index, the MSCIL world was up close to 15% in that same
0: timeframe. So as you head into the end of the year with all that said, are investors playing more offense in December? Are they starting to wait for January and see what the world looks like after the holidays?
1: You know, it's kind of a mixed bag. I would say there's a the healthy combination of both. We've got investors that are continuing to look to allocate capital to risk assets in the appropriate situations. You've got the family office clientele that is sitting on large balance sheets with relatively decent allocations to risk assets, happy to sit and wait given kind of the patient nature of that capital and wait for a better time to allocate additional funds to risk assets. Then you've also got people that have had a great 2020, just given what financial markets have done, especially equity markets, and they're fine pairing risk into year end for a variety of different reasons, both from taking a look at valuations, but then also for tax reasons as well, just given what most likely will be a higher tax regime headed into 2021. I don't think many would argue that there's definitely a heightened potential for a technical pullback as it relates to equity markets here in the U.S. and across the globe, just given where we are and continuing to make all-time highs. But in summary, from a longer-term perspective, I think most are very constructive as it relates to equity markets into 2021 and risk assets in general, just as vaccines are distributed worldwide and you know, from their perspective, corporate profits remain healthy and we start to truly put this global pandemic behind us.
0: Well, yeah, that's uh, an optimistic note to end on. Yeah. Let's, hope, uh, let's hope we put all 2020 behind us soon enough. Thanks for joining us today, Drew. My pleasure, Jake. That's all for this week's Markets Update on Exchange at Goldman Sachs. And in case you missed it, check out our podcast earlier this week with Greg Lemkow, co-head of our investment banking division. Greg did a little exit interview on his reflections of 28 years at Goldman and how the industry has changed. Thanks for listening. Hope everyone has a great weekend. This podcast was recorded on Thursday afternoon, December 10th, in the year 2020. Thank you very much for listening.
2: All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener.